Section four of the Morals, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Morals, Volume two by Plutarch, translated by several hands, corrected and revised by William W. Goodwin. How a young man ought to hear poems. Part one. One it may be allowed to be a question fit for the determination of those concerning whom cato said their palates are more sensitive than their hearts whether that saying of philoxenus the poet be true or no the most savoury flesh is that which is no flesh and fish that is no fish yet this to me marcus sedatus is out of question that those precepts of philosophy which seem not to be delivered with a designed gravity such as becomes philosophers take most with persons that are very young and meet with a more ready acceptance and compliance from them whence it is that they do not only read through aesop's fables and the fictions of poets and the avarus of heraclides and ariston's lyco but they also read such doctrines as relate to the souls of men if something fabulous be mixed with them with an excess of pleasure that borders on enthusiasm wherefore we are not only to govern their appetites in the delights of eating and drinking but also and much more to inure them to a like temperance in reading and hearing that while they make use of pleasure as a sauce they may pursue that which is wholesome and profitable in those things which they read for neither can a city be secure if but one gate be left open to receive the enemy though all the rest be shut nor a young man safe though he be sufficiently fortified against the assaults of all other pleasures whilst he is without any guard against those of the ear yea the nearer the commerce is betwixt the delights of that sense and those of the mind and reason by so much the more when he lies open on that side is he apt to be debauched and corrupted thereby seeing therefore that we cannot and perhaps would not if we could debar young men of the size of my scholaris and thy cleander altogether from the reading of poets yet let us keep the stricter guard upon them as those who need a guide to direct them in their reading more than in their walks upon which consideration i find myself disposed to send thee at present in writing that discourse concerning poetry which i had lately an occasion to deliver by word of mouth that when thou hast read it over thyself thou mayest also make such use of it if thou judgest it may be serviceable to that purpose as those which are engaged to drink hard do of amethysts or preservatives against drunkenness that is that thou mayest communicate it to cleander to prepossess him therewith seeing he is naturally endowed with a brisk piercing and daring wit and therefore more prone to be inveigled by that sort of study they say of the fish called polypus that his head in one respect is very good but in another very naughty food because though it be very luscious to eat yet it is thought to disturb the fancy with frightful and confused dreams and the like observation may be made concerning poetry that it affords sweet and withal wholesome nourishment to the minds of young men but yet it contains likewise no less matter of disturbance and emotion to them that want a right conduct in the study thereof for of it also as well as of egypt may it be said that to those who will use it it is over fertile and luxuriant field medicines and poisons intermixed doth yield for therein love with soft passions and rich language dressed oft steals the heart out of the ingenuous breast and indeed such only are endangered thereby for the charms of that act ordinarily affect not those that are downright sots and naturally incapable of learning 
wherefore when simonides was asked why of all men he could not deceive the thessalians his answer was because they are not so well bred as to be capable of being cajoled by me and Georgius used to call tragical poems cheats, wherein he that did cheat was juster than he that did not cheat, and he that was cheated was wiser than he that was not cheated. It deserves therefore our consideration, whether we shall put young men into Epicurus's boat, wherein, having their ears stopped with wax, as those of the men of Ithaca were, that they shall be obliged to sail by, and not so much as touch at poetry or rather keep a guard on them, so as to oblige their judgments by principles of right reason to use it aright, and preserve them from being seduced to their hurt by that which affords them so much delight. For neither did Lycurgus, the valiant son of Dryas, as Homer calls him, act like a man of sound reason in the course which he took to reform his people, that were much inclined to drunkenness, by travelling up and down to destroy all the vines in the country whereas he should have ordered that every vine should have a well of water near it that as plato saith the drunken deity might be reduced to temperance by a sober one for water mixed with wine takes away the hurtful spirits while it leaves the useful ones in it neither should we cut down or destroy the muses vine poetry but where we perceive it luxuriates and grows wild through an ungoverned appetite of applause there ought we to prune away or keep under the fabulous and theatrical branches thereof and where we find any of the graces linked to any of the muses that is where the lusciousness and tempting charms of language are not altogether barren and unprofitable there let us bring in philosophy to incorporate with it for as where the mandrake grows near the vine and so communicates something of its force thereto the wine that is made of its grapes makes the sleep of those that drink it more refreshing so doth the tempering poetry with the principles of philosophy and allaying their roughness with its fictions render the study of them more easy and the relish of them more grateful to young learners wherefore those that would give their minds to philosophical studies are not obliged to avoid poetry altogether but rather to prepare themselves for philosophy by poems accustoming themselves to search for and embrace that which may profit in that which pleaseth them and rejecting and discarding that wherein they find nothing of this nature for this discrimination is the first step to learning and when this is attained then according to what sophocles saith to have begun well what we do intend gives hope and prospect of as good an end two let us therefore in the first place possess those whom we initiate in the study of poetry with this notion as one which they ought always to have at hand that tis frequently the poet's guise to intermingle truth with lies which they do sometimes with and sometimes against their wills. They do it with their wills because they find strict truth too rigid to comply with that sweetness and gracefulness of expression, which most are taken with, so readily as fiction doth. For real truth, though it disgust never so much, must be told as it is, without alteration. But that which is feigned in a discourse can easily yield and shift its garb from the distasteful to that which is more pleasing and indeed neither the measures nor the tropes nor the grandeur of words nor the aptness of metaphors nor the harmony of the composition give such a degree of elegance and gracefulness to a poem as a well-ordered and artificial fiction doth but as in pictures the colours are more delightful to the eye than the lines because those give them a nearer resemblance to the persons they were made for and render them the more apt to deceive the beholder so in poems we are more apt to be smitten and fall in love with a probable fiction than with the greatest accuracy that can be observed in measures and phrases where there is nothing fabulous or fictitious joined with it 
wherefore socrates being induced by some dreams to attempt something in poetry and finding himself unapt by reason that he had all his lifetime been the champion of a severe truth to hammer out of his own invention a likely fiction made choice of aesop's fables to turn into verse as judging nothing to be true poetry that had in it nothing of falsehood for though we have known some sacrifices performed without pipes and dances yet we own no poetry which is utterly destitute of fable and fiction whence the verses of empedocles and parmenides the theresea of nicander and the sentences of theogenes are rather to be accounted speeches than poems which that they might not walk contemptibly on foot have borrowed from poetry the chariot of verse to convey them the more creditably through the world whensoever therefore anything is spoken in poems by any noted and eminently famous man concerning gods or daemons or virtue that is absurd or harsh he that takes such sayings for truths is thereby misled in his apprehension and corrupted with an erroneous opinion but he that constantly keeps in his mind and maintains as his principle that the witchcraft of poetry consists in fiction he that can at all turns accost it in this language riddle of art like which no sphinx beguiles whose face on one side frowns while the other smiles why cheatest thou with pretence to make us wise and bidst sage precepts in a fool's disguise such a one i say will take no harm by it nor admit from it any absurd thing into his belief but when he meets in poetry with expressions of neptune's rending the earth to pieces and discovers the infernal regions he will be able to check his fears of the reality of any such accident and he will rebuke himself for his anger against apollo for the chief commander of the greeks whom at a banquet while he sings his praise and speaks him fair yet treacherously he slays yea he will repress his tears for achilles and agamemnon while they are represented as mourning after their death and stretching forth their limber and feeble hands to express their desire to live again and if at any time the charms of poetry transport him into any disquieting passions he will quickly say to himself as homer very elegantly considering the propension of women to listen after fables says in his nicaea or relation of the state of the dead but from the dark dominion speed thy way and climb the steep ascent to upper day to thy chaste bride the wondrous story tell the woes the horrors and the laws of hell such things as i have touched upon are those by which poets willingly feign but more there are which they do not feign but believing them themselves as their own proper judgments they put fictitious colours upon them to ingratiate them to us as when homer says of jupiter jove lifts the golden balances that show the fates of mortal men and things below here each contending hero's lot he tries and weighs with equal hand their destinies low sinks the scale surcharged with hector's fate heavy with death it sinks and hell receives the weight to this fable Aeschylus hath accommodated a whole tragedy which he calls psychostasia wherein he introduceth thetis and aurora standing by jupiter's balances and deprecating each of them the death of her son engaged in a duel now there is no man but sees that this fable is a creature of the poet's fancy designed to delight or scare the reader but this other passage great jove is made the treasurer of wars and this other also when a god means a noble house to raise he frames one rather than he'll want a cause these passages i say express the judgment of belief of poets who thereby discover and suggest to us the ignorant or mistaken apprehensions they had of the deities moreover almost every one knows nowadays that the portentous fancies and contrivances of stories concerning the state of the dead are accommodated to popular apprehensions 
that the spectres and phantasms of burning rivers and horrid regions and terrible tortures expressed by frightful names are all mixed with fable and fiction as poison with food and that neither homer nor pindar nor sophocles ever believed themselves when they wrote at this rate there endless floods of shady darkness stream from vast caves where mother night doth teem and there ghosts o'er the vast ocean's waves did glide by the lacudian promontory's side and there from the unfathomed gulf the infernal lake through narrow straits recurring tides doth make and yet as many of them as deplore death as a lamentable thing or the want of burial after death as a calamitous condition are wont to break out into expressions of this nature o pass not by my friend nor leave me here without a grave and on that grave a tear and then to the ghost the mournful soul did fly sore grieved in midst of youth and strength to die and again tis sweet to see the light o spare me then till i arrive at the usual age of men nor force my unfledged soul from hence to know the doleful state of dismal shades below these i say are the speeches of men persuaded of these things as being possessed by erroneous opinions and therefore they touch us the more nearly and torment us inwardly because we ourselves are full of the same impotent passion from which they were uttered to fortify us therefore against expressions of this nature let this principle continually ring in our ears that poetry is not at all solicitous to keep to the strict measure of truth and indeed as to what that truth in these matters is even those men themselves who make it their only study to learn and search it out confess that they can hardly discover any certain footsteps to guide them in that inquiry let us therefore have these verses of empedocles in this case at hand no sight of man so clear no ear so quick no mind so piercing that is not here to seek as also those of xenophanes the truth about the gods and world no man e'er was or shall be that determined can and lastly that passage concerning socrates and plato where he by the solemnity of an oath disclaims all knowledge of those things for those who perceive that the searching into such matters makes the heads of philosophers themselves giddy cannot but be the less inclined to regard what the poets say concerning them three and we shall fix our young men yet the more if when we enter him in the poets we first describe poetry to him and tell him that it is an imitating art and doth in many respects correspond to painting not only acquainting him with that common saying that poetry is vocal painting and painting silent poetry but teaching him moreover that when we see a lizard or an ape or the face of a therocyte in a picture we are surprised with pleasure and wonder at it not because of any beauty in the things but for the likeness of the draught for it is repugnant to the nature of that which is itself foul to be at the same time fair and therefore it is the imitation be the thing imitated beautiful or ugly that in case it do express it to the life is commended and on the contrary if the imitation make a foul thing to appear fair it is dispraised because it observes not decency and likeness now some painters there are that paint uncomely actions as timotheus drew medea killing her children theon orestes murdering his mother and parhasius ulysses counterfeiting madness yea cherophanes expressed in picture the unchaste converse of women with men now in such cases a young man is to be familiarly acquainted with this notion that when men praise such pictures they praise not the actions represented but only the painter's art which doth so lively express what was designed in them 
wherefore in like manner seeing poetry many times describes by imitation foul actions and unseemly passions and manners the young student must not in such descriptions although performed never so artificially and commendably believe all that is said as true or embrace it as good but give it its due commendation so far only as it suits the subject treated of for as when we hear the grunting of hogs and the shrieking of pulleys and the rustling of the wind and the roaring of seas we are it may be disturbed and displeased and yet when we hear any one imitating these or the like noises handsomely as parmenio did that of a hog and theodorus that of a pulley we are well pleased and as we avoid as an unpleasing spectacle the sight of sick persons and of a lazar full of ulcers and yet are delighted to be spectators of the philoctetes of aristophan and the jocasta of salonian wherein such wasting and dying persons are well acted so must the young scholar when he reads in a poem of therasites the buffoon or sisyphus the whoremaster of batrachus the bawd speaking or doing anything so praise the artificial managery of the poet adapting the expressions to the persons as withal to look on the discourses and actions so expressed as odious and abominable for the goodness of things themselves differs much from the goodness of the imitation of them the goodness of the latter consisting only in propriety and aptness to represent the former whence to foul actions foul expressions are most suitable and proper as the shoes of demonides the cripple which when he had lost them he wished might suit the feet of him that stole them were but unhandsome shoes but yet fit for the man they were made for so we may say of such expressions as these tis worth the while an unjust act to own when it sets him that does it on a throne get the repute of just for a disguise and in it do all things whence gain might rise a talent dowry could i close my eyes and sleep or live if thee i should despise and should i not in hell tormented be could i be guilty of profaning thee these it is true are wicked as well as false speeches but yet are decent enough in the mouth of an ectocles an ixion and an old griping usurer if therefore we mind our children that the poets write not such things as praising and approving them but do really account them base and vicious and therefore accommodate such speeches to base and vicious persons they will never be damnified by them from the esteem they have of the poets in whom they meet with them but on the contrary the suspicions insinuated into them of the persons will render the words and actions ascribed to them suspected for evil because proceeding from such evil men and of this nature is homer's representation of paris when he describes him running out of battle into helen's bed for in that he attributes no such indecent act to any other but only to that incontinent and adulterous person he evidently declares that he intends that relation to import a disgrace and reproach to such intemperance four in such passages therefore we are carefully to observe whether or not the poet himself do anywhere give any intimation that he dislikes the things he makes such persons say which in the prologue to his theus manander does in these words therefore my muse describe me now a whore fair bold and furnished with a nimble tongue one that ne'er scruples to do lovers wrong that always craves and denied shuts her door that truly loves no man yet for her ends affection true to every man pretends but homer of all the poets does it best for he doth beforehand as it were bespeak dislike of the evil things and approbation of the good things he utters of the latter take these instances he readily did the occasion take and sweet and comfortable words he spake 
by him he stood and with soft speeches quelled the wrath which in his heated bosom swelled and for the former he so performs it as in a manner solemnly to forbid us to use or heed such speeches as those he mentions as being foolish and wicked for example being to tell us how uncivilly agamemnon treated the priest he premises these words of his own not so atrides he with kingly pride repulsed the sacred sire and thus replied intimating the insolency and unbecomingness of his answer and when he attributes this passionate speech to achilles o monster mixed of insolence and fear thou dog in forehead and in heart a deer he accompanies it with this censure nor yet the rage his boiling breast forsook which thus redoubling on atrides broke for it was unlikely that speaking in such anger he should observe any rules of decency and he passeth like censures on actions as on achilles foul usage of hector's carcass gloomy he said and horrible to view before the bier the bleeding hector threw and in like manner he doth very decently shut up relations of things said or done by adding some sentence wherein he declares his judgment of them as when he personates some of the gods saying on the occasion of the adultery of mars and venus discovered by vulcan's artifice see the swift god o'ertaken by the lame thus ill acts prosper not but end in shame and thus concerning hector's insolent boasting he says with such big words his mind proud hector eased but venerable juno he displeased and when he speaks of pandurus's shooting he adds he heard and madly at the motion pleased his polished bow with hasty rashness seized now these verbal intimations of the minds and judgments of poets are not difficult to be understood by any one that will heedfully observe them but besides these they give us other hints from actions as euripides reported when some blamed him for bringing such an impious and flatitious villain as ixion upon the stage to have given this answer but yet i brought him not off till i had fastened him to a torturing wheel this same way of teaching by mute actions is to be found in homer also affording us useful contemplations upon those very fables which are usually most disliked in him these some men offer force to that they may reduce them to allegories which the ancients called yaponia and tell us that venus committing adultery with mars discovered by the sun is to be understood thus that when the star called venus is in conjunction with that which hath the name of mars bastardly births are produced and by the sun's rising and discovering them they are not concealed so will they have juno's dressing herself so accurately to tempt jupiter and her making use of the girdle of venus to inflame his love to be nothing else but the purification of that part of the air which draweth nearest to the nature of fire as if we were not told the meaning of those fables far better by the poet himself for he teacheth us in that of venus if we heed it that light music and wanton songs and discourses which suggest to men obscene fancies debauch their manners and incline them to an unmanly way of living in luxury and wantonness of continually haunting the company of women and of being given to fashions that their garb may please hot baths and couches where they loll at ease and therefore also he brings in ulysses directing the musician thus leave this and sing the horse out of whose womb the gallant knights that conquered troy did come evidently teaching us that poets and musicians ought to receive the arguments of their songs from sober and understanding men and in the other fable of juno he excellently shows that the conversation of women with men and the favors they receive from them procured by sorcery witchcraft or other unlawful arts are not only short unstable and soon cloying but also in the issue easily turned to loathing and displeasure 
when once the pleasure is over for so jupiter there threatens juno when he tells her hear this remember and our fury dread nor pull the unwilling vengeance on thy head lest arts and blandishments successless prove thy soft deceits and well-dissembled love for the fiction and representation of evil acts when it withal acquaints us with the shame and damage befalling the doers hurts not but rather profits him that reads them for which end philosophers make use of examples for our instruction and correction out of historical collections and poets do the very same thing but with this difference that they invent fabulous examples themselves there was one melanethius who whether in jest or earnest he said it it matters not much affirmed that the city of athens owed its preservation to the dissensions and factions that were among the orators giving withal this reason for his assertion that thereby they were kept from inclining all of them to one side so that by means of the differences among those statesmen there were always some that drew the saw the right way for the defeating of destructive counsels and thus it is too in the contradictions among poets which by lessening the credit of what they say render them the less powerful to do mischief and therefore when comparing one saying with another we discover their contrariety we ought to adhere to the better side as in these instances the gods my son deceive poor men oft times tis easy sir on god to lay our crimes tis comfort to thee to be rich is not no sir tis bad to be a wealthy sot die rather than such toilsome pains to take to call God's service toils a foul mistake. Such contrarieties as these are easily solved if, as I said, we teach youth to judge aright and to give the better saying preference. But if we chance to meet with any absurd passages without any others at their heels to confute them, we are then to overthrow them which such as others elsewhere are to be found in the author. Nor must we be offended with the poet or grieved at him, but only at the speeches themselves which he utters either according to the vulgar manner of speaking or it may be but in drollery so when thou readest homer of gods thrown out of heaven headlong by another or gods wounded by men in quarrelling and brawling with each other thou mayest readily if thou wilt say to him sure thy invention here was sorely out or thou hast said far better things no doubt yea and thou dost so elsewhere and according as thou thinkest to wit in these passages of thine the gods removed from all that men doth grieve a quiet and contented life do live herein the immortal gods for ever blessed feel endless joys and undisturbed rest the gods who have themselves no cause to grieve for wretched man a web of sorrow weave for these argue sound and true opinions of the gods but those other were only feigned to raise passions in men again when euripides speaks at this rate the gods are better than we men by far, and yet by them we oft deceived are. We may do well to quote him elsewhere against himself, where he says better, If gods do wrong, surely no gods there are. So also, when Pindar saith bitterly and keenly, No law forbids us anything to do, whereby a mischief may befall a foe. Tell him, But Pindar, thou thyself sayest elsewhere, The pleasure which injurious acts attends, always in bitter consequences ends. And when Sophocles speaks thus, Sweet is the gain wherein to lie and cheat, adds the repute of wit to what we get. Tell him, but we have heard thee say far otherwise, When the accounts cast up the gains but poor, Which by a lying tongue augments the store. And as to what he saith of riches to wit, Wealth where it minds to go meets with no stay, For where it finds not it can make a way. Many fair offers doth the poor let go, And lose his prize because his purse is low. 
the fair tongue makes where wealth can purchase it the foul face beautiful the fool a wit here the reader may set in opposition divers other sayings of the same author for example from honour poverty doth not debar where poor men virtuous and deserving are whate'er fools think a man is ne'er the worse if he be wise though with an empty purse the comfort which he gets who wealth enjoys the vexing care by which tis kept destroys and menander also somewhere magnifies a voluptuous life and inflames the minds of vain persons with these amorous strains the glorious sun no living thing doth see but what's a slave to love as well as we but yet elsewhere on the other side he fastens on us and pulls us back to the love of virtue and checks the rage of lust when he says thus the life that is dishonorably spent be it ne'er so pleasant yields no true content for these lines are contrary to the former as they are also better and more profitable so that by comparing them considerately one cannot but either be inclined to the better side or at least flag in the belief of the worst but now supposing that any of the poets themselves afford no such correcting passages to solve what they have said amiss it will then be advisable to confront them with the contrary sayings of other famous men and therewith to sway the scales of our judgment to the better side as when alexis tempts to debauchery in these verses the wise man knows what of all things is best whilst choosing pleasure he slights all the rest he thinks life's joys complete in these three sorts to drink and eat and follow wanton sports and what besides seems to pretend to pleasure if it betide him counts it over measure we must remember that socrates said the contrary to wit bad men live that they may eat and drink whereas good men eat and drink that they may live and against the man that wrote in this manner he that designs to encounter with a knave an equal stock of knavery must have seeing he herein advises us to follow other vicious examples that of diogenes may well be returned who being asked by what means a man might revenge himself upon his enemy answered by becoming himself a good and honest man and the same diogenes may be quoted also against sophocles who writing thus of the sacred mysteries caused great grief and despair to multitudes of men most happy they whose eyes are blessed to see the mysteries which here contained be before they die for only they have joy in the other world the rest all ills annoy this passage being read to diogenes what then says he shall the condition of patician the notorious robber after death be better than that of epaminondas merely for his being initiated in these mysteries in like manner when one timotheus in the theatre in the praise of the goddess diana called her furious raging possessed mad synesius presently cried out to him aloud may thy daughter timotheus be such a goddess and witty also was that of bion to theogenes who said one cannot say or do if poor he be his tongue is bound to the peace as well as he how comes it to pass then said he theogenes that thou thyself being so poor pratest and greatest our ears in this manner End of section 4